You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 63, Training Our Replacements. Well, for us to make a good investment in the next generation of students, we need to also be focusing our efforts on developing the next generation of leaders, the leaders who will be guiding them, investing in them uh, long past our main influence. And there are several areas and ways that we can do that, uh, which we've talked about here on the podcast and will continue to. And one of those ways is in higher education. Uh, The plane of higher education is definitely changing, uh, but there are still several opportunities and places uh, for people to get higher education training, whether it's Bible college or seminary for leadership and specifically youth leadership. So what does this next generation of leaders look like? Um, What characteristics do they have? What are things to be excited about? Things to be looking for? And how do we feel about replacing ourselves? Well, we have that conversation with Chris Talbot. Uh, Chris works in the local church and in the college setting, uh, working with youth and family ministry leaders. And we have a great discussion talking about uh, why we should be excited and what the next generation of leaders can and might look like. So let's dive into this conversation with Chris. Chris, thank you for hopping on the podcast today with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you could give yourself, uh, if you could give our listeners a little brief introduction of who you are. Sure. Um, and thanks so much for having me on here. I uh, look forward to having a conversation together. Uh, just real brief about myself. I am the program coordinator for youth and family ministry at Welch College, which is a uh, small Christian college north of Nashville in a town called Gallatin. Um, and uh, I'm married and we have three boys, a six-year-old, a four-year, sorry, a five-year-old who will be six years soon, a four-year-old and a year and a half old. Um, all boys. So we're uh, pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Bet, bedtime must must be live at your house, man. It is. Yeah. It's a, it's a... <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so for this episode, we're talking about the impact upcoming generations will feel based on how we invest and train their leaders, uh, specifically in the classroom, since you're at uh, Welch College. Um, it's safe to say that Christian higher education is kind of declining. And I think um, higher education overall really is. Uh, Colleges are cutting programs and majors. I read a little while ago that tenured professors are being let go because of budget. Um, And I also heard a statistic recently that said the fall of 2024 nationwide, we'll see like a 15% decrease in college admission. Um, So I think it's all the more vital for us while we have these students in our classrooms to really capitalize on the opportunity to really train them well. Uh, So Chris, let's start with your own beginnings and family and youth ministry. And uh, tell us what drew you to your position at Welch College. Yeah. 
I I personally grew up in what you might call a nominal Christian household, and that, that might be put in nicely. I mean, my, my family didn't have anything against church, and we went to church from time to time, uh, but nothing, you know, no, no vital growing faith within the home. Um, I have three siblings, and uh, n- none of them really were all excited about going to church. None of them go to church now, and mm. so it wasn't until I became a teenager that I, I attended a, a youth service with a friend. Um, and I, <laughs> I, they actually invited me to go to this, uh, this lock-in and, um, and on the way to the lock-in. So they didn't tell me this ahead of time, but on the way to the lock-in, um, they told me we'd have to go to this church service beforehand. So it's kind of like a bait and switch, mm, <laughs> yeah. which, which I don't like, I don't recommend, but, uh, it worked out in my, my instance. Right. Um, but it was at that, um, at that service, I heard the gospel for the first time. I mean, really like understood it, understood the depth of my own sin, my need for a savior. Um, it, I mean, it just all kind of clicked for me. And from that point forward, I really just, um, I really desired to dive much deeper into this, this thing called Christianity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so from there, you know, in my later teen years, I felt a call to ministry. I was trying to discern what that meant. Um, I went to a community college for a year, but eventually uh, decided to major in pastoral ministry. Um, and it wasn't until the end of my college education that I really started feeling this desire to, to minister to youth. Hmm. Um, I had, I traveled for a few summers uh, preaching at some youth camps and I um, really just got this heart for teenagers and what they were going through and, you know, how, how impactful of an age that was for me and, uh, and knowing that maybe I could make that same impact in their lives as well through, you know, through the, the Spirit's work in my life. Um, and so after graduating from college, I went, uh, worked real briefly in Alabama for a little bit, but then spent a few years out in North Carolina as youth pastor. Um, and then I heard that my, um, my alma mater had a, uh, a position open to, t- open to teach youth and family ministry. So I, I threw my resume in there. I had earned my master's during that time and, um, and then came back. And so now I, uh, I teach youth and family ministry, but also volunteer as a youth and family pastor at my local church. And so trying to do a little bit of both, you know, of being involved in the church and teaching and, um, and I love it. I love, I love youth ministry. I love family ministry. And, um, I love the opportunity of, of teaching kind of the next generation of, of youth leaders as well. Yeah. Wow. So you have the bivocational setup, but both are with youth ministry. Yeah. That's that's awesome, man. That's, that's that's kind of the dream right there. If you have to do bivocational to have both of those kind of be what you love and they're kind of the same. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I, I think it, it helps a lot too when I'm in the classroom where I'm, I'm not just saying, Hey, you know, I read this book and I hope it's right. But like, <laughs> I, you know, I'm doing this like week in and week out as well. So that's, I think that's helpful. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I would think so. And I, I would think it's kind of fun how both of your professional settings play off each other and how mm-hmm. you're able to really, uh, learn some things uh, in one setting that you can employ as a youth and family pastor. And then also occasionally in ministry, you, you learn things that you can come back and discuss with your students yeah. about, hey, you know, actually I tried this method or I was doing this. And I discovered we need to tweak it a little bit more, or you can give a caveat on something that maybe you talked about a few weeks ago in class. So yeah. that's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, so let's talk about things that you're currently seeing from these future next generation leaders uh, and evaluation of sorts 
that helps. Uh, Chris, what are characteristics that you see in these college students that excite you? What do you think that they're doing well? What do you think that they hold for the next generation that can really help them? Yeah, uh, such a good question. Um, I so I, I, this is my eighth year of teaching now, and so I, I've had a handful of students come through, you know, my classes and my program. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in some ways, it's not so much like it's an improvement as much as things just kind of change with culture and things like that. Yeah, I, I would say maybe the major difference you know, even especially this year, as I've, I've already started teaching uh, some students in a philosophy of youth and family mystery class, is it, it, it seems like they're much more willing to just get to the basics of things. Hmm. Um, I, I don't think that they're maybe as enamored as, as students are maybe even like 10 years ago with kind of a program or maybe a gimmick or something like that. And they, they want to get down like to the bare bones. What, what is like the philosophy of doing biblical youth and family ministry and how do we, how do we implement that? Um, and so maybe they're, they're more willing, at least on the front end, to think much more critically about these things. Uh, maybe don't have as much, they're not holding as tightly to a particular model or program that they, you know, that they grew up with. And so that, yeah. that excites me. Um, I'm excited about like their, their desire to, to teach, you know, so many of the students that come through here, and, and this makes sense, you know, they, uh, youth, youth ministry was really impactful for them. And so now, uh, you know, they, they see the impact on their life. And I mean, much like my own uh, experience, they want to share that for somebody else. And so it's kind of this passing on of, you know, uh, youth ministry from one generation to the next. Yeah, that's definitely my own experience as far as what youth ministry did in my life. Um, I love how you talked about, you know, getting, they want to get to the bare bones and the philosophy and the why. And, um, you know, I read an exchange on Twitter, which can be dangerous. Um, but I read one last night um, about how this next generation is so different. And they were talking in the context of apologetics mm-hmm. and, you know, the traditional, you might even say stereotypical questions that people in apologetics or students of apologetics are taught to answer are scientific questions. How can God exist the problem of evil. Um, and it's not to say that this next generation isn't concerned or aware of those, but this Twitter thread presented a really good perspective on, uh, you know, we need to be able to train our leaders differently because these upcoming students are asking different questions. They're not asking the questions of, okay, how can you prove that, that God exists? They're asking questions kind of like you said about why they're asking questions about identity. Why does this matter? Why does this matter to my life now? What am I going to look like? Because this is true. If Jesus did what he said he did, then why should it matter in how we interact with others? How can we love others better? What does it look like? They're asking those identity questions. And I think these leaders that are in your classroom right now are really, you know, uh, in that vein as well. And they're trying to you know, kind of, you said like, okay, yeah, there's, there's good program structure here in this, but I want to get to the why, because when I understand the why, then I'll be motivated to produce the what. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really interesting how you've seen, uh, both in the ministry setting and in the classroom setting and training, you've seen this shift and that thread I saw yesterday really kind of enlightened me to that. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, 
you're right. I am seeing that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm actually working on my, uh, my PhD right now. Um, and it's in apologetics and culture. Okay. Well. Um, and, and I, you couldn't be any more right. I think some of the more like technical evidential apologetics that, that were really successful, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I think students are dealing much more with questions of, like you said, identity and then ethical issues. As mm-hmm. well. mm-hmm. You know, what do I do about like biblical sexuality? Um, you know, uh, yeah, just, I mean, ethical questions over, across the board and then things that deal with the human person, I mean, are really, really big as opposed to, you know, um, not that it's not important, but like trying to p- prove like the evidence for the flood or something like that. I don't know that that's as important of a of an issue for them, you know. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that shift is interesting, and it definitely has to keep us asking asking those questions of ourselves as why. Because I think those of us in ministry, uh, it's very hard. Depending on your personality, it might be harder for some to not tie your worth to your work. Because yeah. we, because we do holy work, right? And so, in some ways, which I think is inaccurate, we consider our work more important than other than other work. Um, and we also might tend to put a burden on ourselves to have certain expectations, or else we're not being effective. Um, and I imagine you might feel that in a multifaceted way, both being an instructor in the classroom and a pastor to families and students. Um, uh, you know what. What have you noticed about things personally for you that um, are helpful for having both roles that you have? Uh, And then maybe some ways that you're like, this actually makes it kind of difficult sometimes. Yeah. I'll start with the second half of that question. Uh, It's hard to balance at times. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot going on trying to, you know, be out of sight, out of mind is (laughs) it can very much be the reality at times. So when I'm here, at the college, I'm teaching students in the classroom. I can sometimes I can unintentionally put things at the church on the back burner and vice versa. You know, so trying to be really, really intentional of balancing those two things, um, and and, th- and that can be hard on top of family life as well. You know, having three young boys at home and spending time with my wife is is difficult. Um, so just trying to be really present where I'm at, trying to spend time uh, with whoever's in front of me at that given moment, um, and of course the benefit is just getting to see the overlap in all of those areas. Um, and, and even, even with my family too, you know, getting my, my family involved in ministry, whether that's here at this college or, uh, in our local church as well. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so you talked about, um, things that excite you about these students. Um, are there anything, or are there things that you're seeing in these students, particularly the ones in the classroom you're training to invest in the next generation of students, you see anything that's maybe concerning or things that people like you and me who might receive these leaders as interns or young associates might have a good heads up on to make sure that they know or to work on? Yeah, I, I think it's two things come to mind and I don't know how overlap these are. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think one is because they're so willing to ask questions of why and really get down to like the bare bones of things and think through things really critically. Uh, there can be a tendency to be really idealistic, which can be a really strong, um, a strong thing for a student if it's tempered with some capacity of reality, you know, knowing like, I really want to see this happen in the local church, but I know that I'm dealing with um, everyday people, right? Like <laughs> I'm not, I'm not dealing with maybe an ideal church every time. 
Um, and so sometimes, you know, by the time they get done in the classroom, they're graduating college, they have this picture of what great youth mystery looks like. And then they go into their first, you know, internship or their first uh, first full-time job. And it's maybe not exactly what they, they thought it would be. Um, and so trying to prepare them for that um, at the same time, trying to still stoke those flames of, you know, ambition, that can be a hard balance, I think. Um, the, the other part of it too, though, is, and I don't want to sound like an old man here, <laughs> but, uh, um, but take, uh, they're, they're digital natives, you know, so, so much of their life is just surrounded by technology. You know, and I say this as someone that has, you know, like a MacBook and iPhone, like smartphone and all that, um, but they're just inundated all the time with uh, uh, Instagram and TikTok and, and all of this stuff. Uh, and I worry at times, not across the board, but at times that um, for some of them, it has more of a formative aspect to it than it does for others, you know, and and so just being self-aware enough to say, hey, maybe I don't, I don't need to spend as much time on here, or at least know that, hey, uh, this is, this is affecting me in, in significant ways. Yeah, yeah, those are really good warning signs for all of us to be aware of, but especially, you know, when you're seeing those things in these upcoming leaders, um, the the technology aspect is certainly interesting uh, because it's it's really impossible. We can't stem the tide and like go. I just heard this morning that um, Hurricane Ida uh, reversed the flow of the Mississippi River. Mm. It was that strong. So mm. we we can't reverse the flow of technology. It's flowing in one direction, right. um, but. I think the most powerful realization and circumstance that we can point to to show how it's inefficient for um, complete as God intended relationships is COVID and lockdown and Zoom fatigue. And, um, you know, it's ironic because our students were already just buried in their phones when they're sitting with us anyway. And uh, I, I probably mentioned it on the podcast before, but Days after the first lockdown went into effect, I had parents of several of my students contact me and say, my kids are already burned out. Like yeah. they, they need in person, like they already realize. And if that's not a softball yeah. <laughs> to line up to how we can present and show how community should be taking place. Yes. Technology gives us, you know, it allows us to talk, right. And um, it, it gives us great tools. Mm-hmm. There are people that found our church online who might not have ever looked for our church before but uh yeah over a long period of time uh there's there's just a difference and that 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 even shows when um we had a student question sunday years ago and one of the student questions was um is it a sin to be cremated mm-hmm. um and so we we talked about how um first of all first of all no it's not um, there are people in war or people, whoever, who there's nothing for them to even bury or anything else. Mm-hmm. And when you're buried dust to dust, you're still going to decompose and turn to nothing. But then I asked an interesting question. I'm like, how many have, how many of you have been to an open casket funeral? Mm-hmm. Right. And then how, like of the people who, who raised your hands, have you also been to a memorial service or something where there, there was no body? Yes. Was there a difference? All of them were like, yes. Yeah. Tell me what the difference is. And they talked about how 
they had closure, how they're able to have more connection with everyone in the room and the person who died. And, and I'm like, even in when someone has experienced death until Christ comes back, when that's a reality still, um, we can still experience community and we yeah. can still see why it's so important and, and to realize and honor that we're made in the image of God. And um, so that in-person element of ministry obviously needs to be key. And uh, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with, um, you know, they see technology as formative because they, they've only known technology. They didn't live in a world where uh, in middle school, I, I discovered what America Online was, an instant messenger. And, you know, and it's like, oh, what is this? And, um, and the novelty of waiting to call your friends and going to meet at the, at the movie theater or the mall or whatever else, um, you know, that's this completely different setup now. Um, so, um, yeah, that, that's awesome, man. Uh, so Chris, based on what we talked about and based on your experience, both in the church, seeing, uh, people come up and help you, maybe it's volunteers, um, and then students in the classroom, if we could give our listeners and viewers, um, a quick takeaway on uh, a few things that can really make for healthy leaders uh, of the next generation, what would you tell them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we, we've talked a little bit about it and a huge component of it is this healthy relationships, you know, people that are uh, emotionally healthy, that they can interact with others in, in, in healthy ways. I, you know, I tell my students that if, uh, if they're able to, have healthy confrontation um, with people in their, in their church or um, people that are their volunteers. And I don't mean someone that's like overly critical, but just, you know, when, when a conversation needs to be had, that they can do it face to face, that if they're able to do that, that just puts them, you know, light years beyond others and just being able to have conversations like that, you know, rather than kind of skirt the responsibility and um, avoid, avoid difficult uh, conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think, I think healthy relationships and that, that's both the, the positive and negatives of that, you know, having, uh, having good conversations. Um, and then I think, uh, on top of that is this being able to think critically without being critical. Um, you know, being able to think really biblically, theologically, like take, bring their entire worldview to bear on a certain idea without, you know, nitpicking everything all at the same time. And that's a hard balance. I think sometimes is, you know, when we, when we do want to think deeply about stuff, we don't want to be, we don't want to be cynical at the same time. Yeah, de- definitely. Because they can give us an, an arrogant edge that yeah. we want to craft in our own image. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that's really good, man. Because yeah. And I'm sure you see this as well, uh, especially being a student yourself getting in, getting your PhD, but I've found that um, healthy leaders and people who are really aware, the more formally educated they are, gratefully, the more humble they are because they realize how much they will never know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not like, oh, I have all these letters behind my name. So let me tell you this. It's like, no, hey, tell me your story. Here's what I've seen and experienced. And the most influential people and leaders uh, I've read and seen are, are that way. They're like, okay, I don't, I don't have this edge to try and prove myself. If they have zeal, it's, it's for the gospel. And sometimes it might be for themselves, but really they kind of lean 
toward the more, I want to hear from you. You know, if you think I'm wrong, tell me and then let's talk about it. And uh, so I really appreciate that because um, Jesus modeled humility, obviously in amazing ways. And so if that's our model, uh, it's really cool for us to hopefully with the spirits prompting to realize how much we'll never know. And because you could have a ton of degrees and experience and wealth and knowledge and all that. And still we were made to be dependent, right? So it's good for us to remember that faith is the crucial point. It's not knowledge, it's faith. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very cool, man. Well, Chris, this has been great. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Uh, Can you tell us how people can connect with you and maybe learn more about Welch College and, and your programming there online? Yeah, uh, you can check out our college at www.welch.edu. Um, you can follow me at, at C underscore Talbot on Twitter. Um, and if uh, if you really like all this stuff, uh, I wrote a book called Remodeling Youth Ministry. Um, and so I'd, I'd love for people to check that out as well. Yeah, awesome. We will put links to that in the YouTube description below and also on the show notes if you're listening to the podcast. Uh, Chris, thanks again, man. I'll be praying for you in your ministry, both in the church and in the classroom, we need more people like you. So thanks for what you do and keep pressing on, brother. Thank you so much. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Chris for joining me. Everything he mentioned about Welch College and his contact information can be found in the show notes. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel yet, please go check that out and subscribe there as well. We have all of our episodes on YouTube starting this season. Also, every Friday, only on YouTube, we have a special five-minute segment called the Fantastic Friday Five. So go and check that out this Friday. On our website, youthministrymaverick.com, you can find all of our episodes, a complete list of our guests and their bios, a list of organizations to help you in your own ministry, some articles I've published, a store to support the podcast, and more. So go check that out. You can also find all of our social media handles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We appreciate ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts so we can be more seen. And if you leave us a review, not just a rating, but a review, Take a screenshot of it and send it to me and I will send you a personal thank you card with some merchandise you can't buy on the website. That's all for now. Hope to see you on YouTube this Friday. But until next time, thanks for listening. Adios.